Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. On July 27, 2018, Mapuche shaman, or Machi, Celestino Cordova successfully ended his 108-day-long hunger strike. Machi Celestino Cordova was arrested and sentenced to 18 years in prison, which is the longest given by the Chilean state, just short of life imprisonment, by the Chilean state in 2013 after he was accused of arson with the intent to kill the Luxinger McKay family in the southern Chilean region of Araucanía. The state argued that Machi Celestino Cordova was the perpetrator of the arson and murderer of the family because police found him screaming for help with a gunshot wound nearby the burning house. It is stipulated that the Luxinger McKay family shot and wounded him in self-defense. However, scientific evidence showed that the bullets he was hurt with do not correspond to those owned by the family at the time. The incarceration of Machi Celestino Cordova is clearly a case of political repression in a territory that has long been disputed by the Mapuches and white landowners protected by the Chilean state. The Luxinger McKay family is a well-known landowning family in Araucanía. It owns thousands of acres of land. In 2008, Mapuche student Matias Catrillo was murdered by police in the Luxinger McKay family's estate. The state prosecutor used this as evidence that the murder of the family was organized by Mapuche resistance fighters in an act of retaliation. Machi Celestino Cordova's 108-day hunger strike comes years after his conviction and as a last resort attempt to be granted a temporary permission to leave his captivity and be given access to his railway or altar, which is of vital importance for his spiritual and physical health. Despite various attempts to dialogue with the Chilean state, it continued to deny Machi Celestino Cordova access to his railway. After 108 days of hunger strike, multitudinous marches, and even an occupation of the president's house of the University of Chile by students, he was finally granted temporary release from prison and given access to his railway. The Chilean media did not fail to note the supposed benevolence of the son of the murdered family to decide approvingly of Machi Celestino Cordova's temporary release, a clear example of who rules the occupied territory called Chile today. Though this is definitely a victory for the Mapuche struggle and political prisoners everywhere, Machi Celestino Cordova's struggle comes in the wake of President Piñera's announcement of a rehash Araucanía plan. This plan, presented by Piñera in June, proposes to further militarize the Araucanía region, one of the main sites in which Mapuche struggles to recuperate ancestral lands is being waged. The new so-called Jungle Commando of the Chilean military police is an elite force trained in the jungles of Colombia that will be endowed with the latest technology to combat the so-called terrorist forces in occupied territory. As an example of this militarization, 150 military police units garrisoned in eight different vehicles escorted Machi Celestino Cordova to his railway on his temporary release. Today, the Machi Celestino Cordova is back in captivity, but the struggle for Mapuche self-determination and the recovery of ancestral lands continues. CNN reported that Pope Francis has announced that the death penalty is never acceptable and that the Catholic Church will strive to abolish it around the world. The move, which has been added to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, makes official a stance that the Pope has maintained since he became pontiff. The Church now holds that, quote, the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviability and dignity of the person, unquote. 
In the U.S., capital punishment is legal in 31 states and is a federal punishment. 23 executions took place in the United States in 2017, and 41 death sentences were pronounced, according to Amnesty International. The organization documented at least 933 executions in 23 countries last year. According to a recent Pew Research survey, 54% of U.S. residents approve of the death penalty for convicted murderers, whereas 39% oppose it. We received this message from Prisoner Support Group, IDOC Watch, who writes that there is an inmate at Indiana State Prison in Michigan City who needs support. Robert Turbin, DOC number 982329. Robert is diabetic and medical staff represented by Wexford of Indiana, a private contractor, have been changing his insulin treatments, resulting in negative reactions. Recently, he spent three days in an intensive care unit as a result of the treatments, after which he was returned to the prison, received the same treatment, and spent another three days in the ICU. Doctors in the ICU recommended alternate treatments that the prison is now refusing to provide. Furthermore, Robert suffers from complications following an operation on his foot. Several years ago, doctors applied silver nitrate, a cautery agent, leaving it on his foot long after it should be removed, resulting in a blood infection. After many years of neglect by medical staff, Robert experiences severe pain which has never been addressed. Mr. Turbin has made at least seven requests to review his medical records since March and has yet to be provided with them, being told they will quote-unquote get to him. Given his condition, we consider Robert Turbin's well-being to be seriously at risk. We ask callers to speak with or leave messages to both the nurse overseeing him and upstate to hire administrators. You can call Becky Hess, the regional nurse manager, at 317-607-0812, Sherry Fritter at 219-874-7256, extension 5141, and the office of the IDOC commissioner at 317-232-5711, extension 0, and ask for the commissioner. The Prisoner Support Group, IDOC Watch, offers some ideas for a sample script. I am calling in regards to Robert Turbin, number 982329, at Indiana State Prison. Robert Turbin is diabetic and is being denied proper insulin treatment, which has resulted in his being kept in the ICU for a period of six days. He also suffers from complications from a blood infection on his foot caused by medical staff. Robert has attempted to obtain his medical records several times and has yet to receive them. I request that he be given his records and all relevant medical notes immediately, and that he be given proper treatment for his conditions. Additionally, I request that all video recordings of his received insulin treatment be preserved. I am deeply concerned about his well-being. Rewire News reported that despite receiving a cease and desist letter from Geo Group, the country's largest private prison company, the organization Dream Defenders has continued its nationwide protests against the company. As Philip Agnew, co-director of Dream Defenders, commented, quote, They thought this letter that has no legal standing would scare us into hiding. It's going to take more than that, unquote. On April 7th, Dream Defenders carried out 16 actions in over a dozen cities. 
Geo Group, headquartered in Boca Raton, Florida, is the largest contractor of the federal government's Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Geo Group has over $400 million in federal contracts to operate private prisons and detention centers. Dream Defenders said in response to the letter, quote, We are advocating the end to your harmful and violent carceral behavior, which countless news reports, lawsuits, and government investigations have already established, unquote. We have an update on the ongoing hunger strike in Youngstown, Ohio, by prison rebel Sadiq Hassan. He's been refusing food since the morning of Saturday, July 28th, in protest to a conduct report and new restrictions on his confinement. The charges include rioting or participating in a riot, though no riot occurred. Hassan has been held in solitary confinement for decades at the Supermax prison in Youngstown, Ohio. The conduct report will be handled by a serious misconduct panel later this week who will make recommendations to the chief of the Bureau of Classification, Brian Wittrip. Wittrip is also the author of the conduct report. This is the equivalent of a prosecutor first arguing a case and then putting on judges' robes to determine the sentence, said Ben Turk, a supporter who was named in the conduct report and will testify before the panel. There can be no justice in such an arrangement. The conduct report primarily stems from Turk attempting to send publicly available documents about the upcoming prison strike to Hassan. The mailrooms intercepted the paper copy of these documents, but not the copy sent through the JPay email system. Hassan believes the matter cannot be won within the ODRC. He regards it as an infringement on his and his supporters' First Amendment rights and intends to pursue remedy through the courts. Supporters note that Hassan, a determined human rights advocate, has engaged in many hunger strikes over his years at the Supermax facility. His commitment to justice and the assertion of his rights in this matter is strong. Those outside supporters are currently engaged in a pressure campaign against the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections, encouraging people to call, send emails, and letters to Director Gary Moore at his office and home address. More information on Sadiq's case and how outside supporters can help can be found online. We just received word that a strike broke out at Ohio State Prison, the same facility that is holding Hassan. Here's a statement from current inmate and one of the Lucasville Five, Greg Curry. He writes, Meanwhile, the low-wage cops harassing us looking to create problems, so enough prisoners that recognize this decided to start a protest that include refusing to work. Of course the cops went to their special inmates to get them to cross the picket line, but that was frowned upon so the pod is looking like we're held against our will, imagine that. Greg also wrote that a knife was found, not at all having to do with him, but since he has Lucasville attached to his name, the officers keep him without any privileges and keep a close eye on him. Greg writes, Just today I've had to be interviewed by the unit staff and then later by the warden himself. Stay tuned. Greg says, I need people to call the Bureau of Classification, Mr. Wittrup. Ask him why I'm being held on a disciplinary version of population without the full privileges of my level, such as rec yard, gym, chow hall, and many privileges at the same level anywhere else are rule violations here. Ask him what's the plan, what's the timeline for moving me out of here? As most of you know, it's been 20 plus years of being stuck here and it's time to go. We'll have contact information for Mr. Wittrup, as well as the regional director of OSP, on our website. You can write to Greg via JPay directly or via snail mail. His info is Greg Curry, number 213-159, OSP, 878 Coitsville Hubbard Road, Youngstown, Ohio, 44505. We'll have that information on our website as well. According to Nashville Public Radio, 
20 protesters were arrested and charged with criminal trespass after dozens of protesters blockaded the Nashville headquarters of the private prison company CoreCivic on August 6th. The blockade lasted for over eight hours and included tents, barricades, and a tripod structure that was two stories tall. CoreCivic operates eight Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, detention centers. The purpose of the demonstration was to illuminate the company's ties to ICE. Janine Alexander, a protest organizer, said of the action, quote, From our perspective, this corporation should be abolished. The only way it exists and operates in Tennessee is through the legislative power, which allows the caging of humans to be contracted out for profit, unquote. Among those arrested were several people who had chained themselves together and a woman who had positioned herself on top of the tripod. Police cordoned off the building and gradually arrested demonstrators who refused to leave. Another call-in has been brought to our attention by IDOC Watch, who writes, As temperatures soar outside to dangerous levels, Pendleton Correctional Facility has become a hothouse with nowhere for the inmates to turn for relief. IDOC Watch has learned that at least in one dorm of the prison, there has been no air or circulation for nearly three days. This type of extreme exposure can be deadly if allowed to continue. Inmates have attempted to get corrections officers to remedy the situation, but they are not responding. Inmates are now asking outside supporters to call up to Pendleton as much as possible to pressure the administration to turn the air on. If interested, you can call Warden Dushan Zateki at 765-778-2107 and IDOC Commissioner Robert Carter at 317-232-5711. When calling, here is a sample script. I am calling to request that the air and ventilation be switched on for the whole facility. It is inhumane to hold people in these confined spaces in extreme heat. I am deeply concerned about the health and safety of the inmates. IDOC Watch also reminds those who call that those answering the phones often give misinformation about the prisoners, deflect direct questions, and claim that the situation has been remedied even when it has not been. As the 2018 National Prison Strike quickly approaches, we're already getting word from those inside about initial rumblings of struggles that prisoners across the country are engaging in. During this episode, we give a broad overview of the 2016 National Prison Strike and its impacts on the prisoners who participated and the ways various prisoners chose to be involved in this massive movement. Ranging from peaceful sit-downs and hunger strikes to all-out riots, the 2016 National Prison Strike was simultaneously a major success in spreading the prisoners' movement and winning demands, while also failing to break into mainstream media coverage and tap into broad outside support. Considering that it was the largest prison strike in U.S. history so far, it feels important to keep these struggles on our minds as we move forward. Prisoners involved faced intense repression from prison officials, and communication between those on the inside and outside was massively restricted or cut off entirely. In anticipation of more needs arising from the upcoming strike, we take a look back at the strategies and outcomes from 2016. In the spring of 2016, prison rebels across the country released a call for a nationally coordinated prison work stoppage set to begin on September 9th of that year, 45 years to the day after the well-known prison uprising at Attica Correctional Facility in 1971. Beginning with the statement, 
quote, this is a call to action against slavery in America, end quote. The announcement laid out the economic ties underpinning the massive and growing use of prison labor in the United States. Because of a clause in the 13th Amendment, the authors state, quote, the U.S. Constitution maintains a legal exception for continued slavery in U.S. prisons, end quote. Many major corporations have made use of prison labor that often pays pennies to the hour. These corporations include Victoria's Secret, Starbucks, Whole Foods, Revlon, AT&T, and Target. By some estimates, the economic output of federal and state inmates exceeds $2 billion per year. Inmates also protested with various regional grievances, such as low wages in South Carolina, racial discrimination in California, and excessive force and substandard food and medical care in Michigan. In light of this, the authors called on prisoners all over the country, quote, To every prisoner in every state and federal institution across this land, we call on you to stop being a slave, to let the crops rot in the plantation fields, to go on strike, and cease reproducing the institutions of your confinement, end quote, and stating that they hoped to end prison slavery by making it impossible, by refusing to be slaves any longer. The announcement included a recollection of the widespread prison resistance of the years preceding 2016, such as the 2010 prison strike in Georgia, the massive hunger strikes in California, strikes by the Free Alabama Movement in 2014, hunger strikes in Ohio, Virginia, and Illinois, and the important instance of women incarcerated in the Yuba County Jail in California joining a hunger strike initiated by women held in immigrant detention centers in California, Colorado, and Texas, stating, quote, Prisoners all across the country regularly engage in myriad demonstrations of power on the inside. They have most often done so with convict solidarity, building coalitions across race lines and gang lines to confront the common oppressor, end quote. But the call also focused on what it would take to continue the work of amplifying, connecting, and strengthening this resistance into a, quote, single tidal shift that the American prison system cannot ignore or withstand, stating, we need to know our friends, families, and allies on the outside will have our backs. This spring and summer will be seasons of organizing, of spreading the word, building the networks of solidarity, and showing that we're serious and what we're capable of, end quote. And almost immediately, organizations on both sides of the prison walls sprang into action, aiming to publicize and support the September 9th strike. In Texas, prisoners across seven different facilities began a strike on April 4th, leading to at least one facility being locked down for over three weeks. Prisoners involved in this action later stated, in a text published by the Houston chapter of the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, that they were using this strike and subsequent work slowdowns to gather, quote, tactical and organizational lessons, end quote, for the September 9th strike. On May 1st, prisoners with the Free Alabama Movement launched their own 10-day strike in Holman Prison, the same site as the strikes in 2014. Speaking to Democracy Now!, Kinetic Justice, one of the Free Alabama Movement's co-founders, stated that, quote, These strikes are our method of challenging mass incarceration, as we understand the prison system is a continuation of the slave system, which is an economic system. We understood our incarceration was pretty much about our labor and the money that was being generated from the prison system. Therefore, we began organizing around our labor and used it as a means and a method to bring about reform in the Alabama prison system." End quote. 
Meanwhile, organizers on the outside were attempting to build better and more resilient connections between each other and with prison rebels organizing on the inside, as well as trying to publicize the strike, knowing that media coverage would be a great help in protecting the prisoners from repression during and following the strike. Where they didn't already exist, letter-writing groups were formed to reach out to prisoners. In August, banner drops, pro-strike graffiti, and wheat-pasted posters appeared all across the country. Call-in campaigns were organized to support prisoners involved in hunger strikes and other forms of resistance in Ohio, Nevada, Wisconsin, and Alabama. In the days leading up to the strike, Film screenings, presentations on the strike and the history of prison struggles, and solidarity demonstrations were held. On the day of the strike, solidarity demonstrations took place in over 50 different cities across the United States. Within the prison system, over 24,000 prisoners missed work, with the strike affecting at least 29 facilities. Work stoppages took place from Alabama to California to Minnesota. Hunger strikes were launched or continued in Wisconsin and Missouri, Riots broke out in several facilities across Florida, as well as in North and South Carolina. On September 10th, the actions continued. In Holman, the strike continued with no work by prisoners taking place, and in Florida, more disturbances were reported. At Kinross Prison in Michigan, 400 prisoners took part in a peaceful march in the prison yard before 100 of them, believed to be the, quote, instigators, end quote, were violently snatched by an armed emergency response team and transferred to other facilities, which prompted a massive riot in response, in which dormitories were smashed and burned, with some prisoners even attempting an escape from the prison. Uprisings in Florida, hunger strikes, work stoppages, and lockdowns continued at a variety of institutions throughout the following week. Midway through the month, protests continued in Alabama and South Carolina. In Holman, Correctional officers walked off the job, some of them even quitting their positions, due to the non-response from the warden and ADOC after an officer was stabbed and killed. The Free Alabama movement claimed that some officers felt this non-response was in order to secure support from the public for a massive expansion of the prison system in Alabama. New information continued to roll in regarding actions around September 9th as well. On the 17th, The Austin Anarchist Black Cross learned that in Gatesville, Texas, one building participated with the strike while 13 units were placed on lockdown and participating prisoners were reportedly brutalized in retaliation for their actions. Solidarity statements and actions took place throughout September, not just in the U.S., but internationally as well. Banners were dropped and events were held in Mexico, Canada, the United Kingdom, Germany, Spain, France, Serbia, Australia, Lithuania, Sweden, Colombia, and Greece, where prisoners at Korydalos prison even joined in the strike, stating, quote, nationality, religion, or any other differences will never be an obstacle to becoming a blow against the powers that keep us imprisoned, end quote. By September 21st, organizers reported over 46 facilities affected by the strike, 31 of which experienced at least 24 hours of a work stoppage, lockdown, or suspension leading organizers to know that at least 50,000 prisoners were affected. The prisons routinely suppressed and misreported the protest activity. Officials in Ohio, South Carolina, Virginia, and Texas have denied that a strike even took place, despite prisoners' accounts. The backlash by prison officials towards prisoners was also violent. Alleged organizers were moved into solitary confinement or transferred. In Michigan, the families and friends of inmates at Kinross 
heard reports of lockdowns, pepper spray, tear gas, broken appliances, and assaults on protesters. Some Kinross prisoners were left outside in the rain for up to six hours in retaliation. Four prisoners died over the course of the strike and prison administration crackdown against protesters. One person committed suicide while in solitary confinement in Alabama's Holman Prison, and a prisoner at Kinross Prison died from medical neglect. Two other prisoners at Kinross died within one month of the strike of unknown causes. After two months, the major strike action dissipated, though certain facilities remained on alert for months. September 9th was, without a doubt, the largest prison work strike ever to take place within the United States. The strike caused substantial financial losses to the states and federally. The California prison system lost as much as $636,000 in total revenue or $156,000 in profit for every day of the prison strike. The 2016 strike showed U.S. prisoners formidable capacity for developing strategies against institutional isolation and brutality, despite overwhelming repressive force and an almost complete refusal by large media outlets to report on strike-related actions. Now, not even two years later, another national prison strike has been called for, this time to take place from August 21st, the anniversary of revolutionary George Jackson's assassination at the hands of prison guards in San Quentin, to September 9th of 2018. Groups including the IWOC, Free Alabama Movement, and Jailhouse Lawyers Speak from South Carolina have called for strikes, sit-ins, boycotts, and hunger strikes for these 19 days, releasing a list of demands which they say are, quote, not negotiation goals to pursue state by state within prison authorities, but rather demands made by prison rebels of the racist American plantation system, end quote. The demands include an immediate end to prison slavery, an immediate end to the racial overcharging, oversentencing, and parole denials of black and brown humans, and an immediate end to racist gang enhancement laws targeting black and brown humans. The organizers of this strike have asked supporters to continue improving upon the support they were able to offer striking prisoners in 2016 by building support networks, establishing contacts inside prisons, and publicizing the strike actions as best they can. The Fire Inside Collective, explaining the significance of the strike, states, 19 days of facility or statewide work refusal, sit-downs, or lockdown will cost the system dearly in terms of both money and legitimacy. Replacing 19 days of prisoner labor can cost millions, not to mention the cost of breaking occupations and repairing damaged facilities. This action can bankrupt not only prison systems, but entire state budgets. Exposing retaliation and drawing attention to horrendous conditions and routines also corrodes the prison's public legitimacy. By the end of this protest period, any impacted government is likely to grant substantive concerns to prisoner demands and open their minds to harm-reducing reforms, alternatives, and policy changes. This is how direct action on the inside rapidly advances every aspect of the multi-pronged struggle against mass incarceration or for abolition everywhere. This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. 
KiteLine wants your feedback. You can reach us via email at kitelineradio at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512 or you can use this number to record a message to a loved one behind bars. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. This has been KiteLine. Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. Thank you for listening.